Trainingport.net presents Business Aviation Training Report. Hello and welcome to the Business Aviation Training Report. I'm your host, Brent Fishlock. This podcast is produced by the leader in online training for business aviation, Trainingport.net. We link the aviation news of the day with the training needs of business aviation operators, management, their support staff, maintainers, and pilots. We want to discuss topics that are important to business aviation professionals. So please send us your questions, comments, and suggestions at podcast at trainingport.net. That's podcast at trainingport.net. Hello, everyone. Today, I'll be talking about ICAO's new global reporting format for runway surface conditions. The 4th of November 2021 applicability date is the start for ICAO's global reporting format, or GRF. GRF, referred to as TALPA in the U.S., is used for assessing and reporting runway surface conditions. The aim of GRF is to reduce the risk of runway excursions by bringing all the stakeholders such as airports, aircraft operators, and aircraft manufacturers under one roof and making the information shared between these groups easier to collect and understand. For example, ICAO says that a trained runway observer will create a runway condition code for each third of the runway using globally recognized descriptors, thereby creating a runway condition report or RCR. This information will be passed to ATC for the creation of a snow tam or other method of distribution. The flight crew will receive the RCR information and correlate it to their aircraft performance data, enabling them to calculate accurate takeoff and landing performance information. In ICAO's world, you will find information about GRF in ICAO Annex 14, Volume 1, Aerodrome Design and Operation, DOC 10064, Aeroplane Performance Manual, and Circular 355, Assessment, Measurement, and Reporting of Runway Surface Conditions. ICAO's global reporting format is called TALPA in the U.S., as I said. TALPA has been in use since 2016, whereas other countries, including Canada's GRF, becomes effective later this year. ICAO's date is this November 2021, and Canada is expected to be August 12, 2021. Training will be available at trainingport.net, so speak with one of our sales representatives. The majority of the information I'm talking about today comes from the Draft Advisory Circular 700-057, which will probably become effective in Canada, as I said, on August 12th. But its contents do apply to everyone. While there are some differences between TALPA and GRF, the basic premise remains the same. The key to both is the Runway Condition Assessment Matrix, or RCAM. After the 737 overrun in Chicago Midway in 2005, the FAA convened a TALPA committee to investigate runway condition reporting. The committee came up with recommendations that developed consistent terminology and runway assessment criteria presented in a standardized format. The new runway condition method is used by airport operators for the reporting of runway service conditions, aircraft manufacturers for the development of performance charts, and flight crews who utilize the reported runway surface conditions and TALPA-based performance information in their manuals to determine takeoff and landing performance numbers. The issue before GRF was that the language used by the different groups did not cross over well. Pilots who were trying to determine a takeoff or landing distance were given information that did not speak well to the aircraft manual. So the biggest part of GRF is the Runway Condition Assessment Matrix, or RCAM. 
The RCAM takes standard runway conditions, airport reporting codes, braking action reports, and aircraft performance found in the manual and brings it together. The major manufacturers of transport category airplanes have produced performance information that is based on the TALPA methods. This TALPA-based performance information addresses operations on wet and contaminated runways and provides a significant advancement over the previous performance methods and practices. ICAO has mandated a GRF which incorporates many of the significant safety enhancements that resulted from the TALPA committee. Runway condition reporting must be clear to everyone, so ICAO says that the runway condition reporting process must include, and there's a few of them here, an agreed set of criteria used in a consistent manner from runway surface condition assessment, airplane performance certification, and operational performance calculation. It must also include a unique runway condition code, or RWYCC, the acronym, linking the agreed set of criteria and related to the braking action experienced and eventually reported by flight crews. There must be a reporting of contaminant type and depth that is relevant to takeoff performance. There must be a standardized common terminology and phraseology for the description of runway surface conditions that can be used by aerodrome operator inspection personnel, air traffic controllers, aircraft operators and flight crew. And finally, there must be a globally harmonized procedure for the establishment of the runway condition code with a built-in flexibility to allow for local variations to match the specific weather infrastructure and other particular conditions. Canadian implementation will meet the intent and safety elements of the GRFs, they say, and will also provide some enhancements. One of the main differences from the Archaeo format is the ability to report two contaminants per third of runway, or for the entire runway when the runway condition report is for the full runway length. The U.S. Field Condition NOTAM, or FICON, also lists two contaminants. The runway condition code, like I said, RWYCC, is a number from 0 to 6, which represents the slipperiness of a specific third of a runway. A runway condition code of 0 corresponds to an extremely slippery runway, and 6 corresponds to a dry runway. Runway condition codes can be used by pilots to make a time of arrival landing performance assessment for those airplanes with suitable performance information. Check your aircraft manual. Runway condition codes are only reported if the runway condition information is reported by runway thirds and the runway surface is paved. A runway condition code is reported for each runway third, with each third separated by a forward slash. For example, 5 slash 5 slash 5. In the event the full width of the runway is not cleared, the runway condition code will be determined based on the contaminants present in the cleared portion of the runway, typically the center 100 feet. The runway condition assessment matrix, RCAM, is used to determine runway condition code from a set of observed runway surface conditions and associated procedures. One of the issues that has come up in runway overruns is up-to-date information. The flight crew may have calculated a correct landing distance, but when they got to the runway, the conditions have changed enough that the braking is not what they expected. An example would be a rain shower that has passed by depositing water on the runway or snow has started to fall. Although not a runway condition itself, increased wind or the wind direction and speed could change significantly enough to alter landing distance. So with that in mind, it's important to understand validity periods. The RSC NOTAM contains the information from multiple sources. 
The validity period stated in the RSC NOTAM reflects the validity period for each runway condition and should not exceed the published operating hours for an airport or aerodrome unless the surface conditions are being monitored. For airports, the maximum validity period is 8 hours. For aerodromes reporting runway condition codes, the maximum validity period is 8 hours. Both those are for Canada. And finally, also for Canada, for aerodromes not reporting runway condition codes, the maximum validity period is 24 hours. Even if you have a valid RSC, conditions may have changed, as I said earlier. In other words, conditions could be active. What if precipitation of any kind has occurred since the runway condition report was issued? Does a new ATIS say it's snowing? What if a similar type aircraft gave a breaking action report for the runway you plan to use? This information must be considered. As you can see, there can be multiple steps to determine an accurate takeoff and landing distance. I have only scratched the surface here, so have a look at the documentation in your and your aircraft manual. Trainingport.net will have a topic on this soon. Go through a scenario of poor runway conditions at your home airport or maybe a shorter runway you go to and determine if you can land or take off with the contaminated runway. There are many steps involved, and then you might get a wind report or a new ATIS late in the approach that requires modification to your calculations. Here are some thoughts. The new GRF will not prevent all runway excursions. Pilot approach and landing techniques are crucial. Some things to consider. Are you always on speed crossing the numbers? What is the maximum crosswind for your airplane with medium braking reported? Do you always touch down in the touchdown zone, even if you are asked or allowed to exit the runway at the end? Do you use the VASI or PAPI all the time? Is there a tendency to duck under or fly high on these indicators? Do you always deploy reverse thrust, even idle reverse? When do you stow the reversers? Occurrences have happened after reverse thrust was stowed, trying to clear the runway at the end, but then control was lost due to the excessive speed. Also, the TR logic of your airplane might mean deploying reverse thrust only after deciding that you need it will make it ineffective because of the time it takes to deploy the TRs and spool up the engines. Also, we know that thrust reversers are most effective at high speeds and usually limited at lower speeds. What does your manual say to do when the aircraft starts to slide and reverse thrust is being used? My manual says to select idle reverse, which allows the tires to regain grip, then increase reverse thrust again to slow the airplane. Revisit your aircraft manual and recommended procedures for wet and contaminated runway conditions. Okay, let's switch gears for a moment. In the news is a section of the podcast where I talk about other happenings in aviation. Many times when there is an occurrence, there seems to be something that the crew did not perform once, or perhaps they rarely perform it at all. I'm not a trained accident investigator. However, many times in my readings of accident reports, checklists or briefings are often omitted. The FAA has released Advisory Circular 9192 titled Pilot's Guide to a Pre-Flight Briefing, which highlights the need for proper and structured pre-flight briefings. This is a great way to set the tone for the flight and the trip. The AC itself is aimed at Part 91 operators and mentions self-briefing, but it is a good preparatory tool with many links to weather-related websites and videos. Have a look using the link in the notes in our website, trainingport.net. Also, don't underestimate the value of a post-flight briefing. What went well, what didn't go as well, and what could we do to improve? Also, just a quick note from the North Atlantic, NAT operations now require two long-range communication capabilities, one of which must be HF. 
you may not enter North Atlantic high-level airspace without a functioning HF. This is a new rule, which can be found in the updated North Atlantic Operations and Airspace Procedures Manual, dated February 2021. Thanks for listening, and have a great day. That's our podcast for today. Podcast notes will be posted on our website at tradingport.net. Click on podcast. We aim to discuss topics that are relevant to business aviation professionals, and we would love to hear your suggestions for future podcasts. You can email us at podcast at trainingport.net. That's podcast at trainingport.net. This podcast is brought to you by trainingport.net, leader in online business aviation training. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Subscribe to this podcast so you'll never miss an episode. I'm your host, Brent Fishlock. Have a great day. And thank you for listening to the Business Aviation Training Report. For more information on each episode, visit us at www.trainingport.net slash podcast. Trainingport.net, helping business aviation professionals excel.